Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Well, one good place would be right here. Not exactly what anybody expected, right? Not what anybody expected and not even close. Yeah, the greatest quarterback of all time versus one of the greatest offenses of all time, and yet it was 3 nothing at halftime. And then 13-3 at the end. So let me say this right now. That might not have been the greatest game ever, but that was the greatest coaching performance ever by one William Stephen Belichick. And if you've been looking for something to decide who deserves more credit for this dynastic run, Bill Belichick or Tom Brady, you got your answer last night. It's the hood. It's all Belichick. So get ready for another awkward Bob Kraft Bill the Goat reference because it's true. That's coming and it's true. He is the greatest, greatest football coach ever, maybe the greatest coach in American pro sports ever. That's how good that guy was last night. I mean, sure, Brady had his moments, especially when he had to have those moments. And Julian Edelman was excellent. But if they could have given the Super Bowl MVP to a coach, they should have. And they should have broken that thing in half. And that way he could have shared that trophy with D coordinator and new Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores. One year after getting pantsed by Doug Peterson and self-owned by his decision to bench Malcolm Butler, Belichick comes right back with a freaking masterpiece. I mean, a true Belichick masterpiece. Better than what he did to the Rams in the Super Bowl that first time. And even better than what he did as the defensive coordinator to the Buffalo Bills in his previous masterpiece, Super Bowl twenty-five. Yes, he shut down the greatest show on turf. Yes, he shut down the K-Gun offense with great schemes. But those offenses still got some. Both of those games came down to a field goal. In both of those games, though, the opposition actually moved the ball. The opposition actually found the back of the end zone. Last night did not come down to a field goal. Last night, the Rams came up with a field goal, and that's it. No more. Belichick held Sean McVay, Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, and the rest of that crew to 30 points below their season average. 30 below. The team with the number two offense in the NFL. The team with the 11th best scoring offense in the history of the NFL had 260 yards and only three points. Nine punts and three points. So I don't think I need at this point to dig into the details of what Belichick did, of how he used a cover four look. It was something similar to what his former D.C. Matt Patricia broke out when Detroit gave Goff all those problems back in week 13. And you don't need me to break down the stunts and the twists that the Patriots' defense front ran so well that it allowed them to get pressure on Goff without getting exposed in the run game. But if you want to know why Belichick was the real MVP, just ask the guy that he just outcoached. I'm pretty numb right now, but, you know, definitely I got outcoached, and I didn't do nearly good enough for a football team. Stings in your gut, and like I said, I'm still kind of numb right now, but I have so much love for these players and these coaches, and that's where, you know, it, it really, you know, it eats at you because you feel like you didn't do your part to help them. Who sounds worse, me or him? I love this guy. I love Sean McVay. He could not have been any class here. Could not have been any more accountable. I know why his peers love him. I know why his players love him. Could not have been any class here in defeat or any more accountable. But do not come in with your bullcrap takes that McVay is overrated. That McVay just got exposed. You're wrong. Dead wrong. McVay is for real. He just got out coached by the greatest coach ever. It sucks. There's no shame in that, though. Bill Belichick has been doing that for years. Belichick just did it again. This is what he does. He makes really, really good quarterbacks look really bad and really, really good coaches look unprepared. This is why he's the best to ever do it. He had a plan. He worked it. He worked it to perfection. And his guys knew it was coming. Check out this report from NFL Network's Mike Girardi from before the game. This was before the game. Jared Goff has had a hell of a year for the L.A. Rams, right? I mean, he's the quarterback of a team that's in the Super Bowl that averaged nearly 33 points per game, second best in the National Football League. 
publicly to Patriots players rave about him, say he can make all the throws. Privately, however, they want to put this game on golf. One player telling me, if we show him some of the looks that we've seen so far to some of these other quarterbacks, some that he hasn't seen before, we believe he'll, quote, bleep in his pants. And all it takes is one or two of those moments, according to this player, with Tom on our side, that will be enough to get the job done. Wait, what? Wait, what? Can I run that back one more time? Did dude just say what I think he said? One player telling me, if we show him some of the looks that we've seen so far to some of these other quarterbacks, some that he hasn't seen before, we believe he'll, quote, bleep in his pants. And all it takes is one or two of those moments, according to this player. Did he just say the Patriots believe that Goff would, quote, bleep in his pants? If you haven't seen the video of the report, it's pretty amazing. Because he's clearly uncomfortable with that report because he knows what's coming. He knows he's leading up to that. He soldiers on and even throws up an awkward set of air quotes. So the Patriots thought that Jared Goff would go Pete McMeat. You'd have a big dump in your pants. And you know what? For the first half, he pretty much did. I mean, I wouldn't say that he went full-blown Pete McMeat. Bleep in his pants. Or big dump in your pants. You'd have a big dump in your pants. But he had a rough first half. I mean, how could it not be? If every time you drop back, you were wearing Dante Hightower or Kyle Van Noy, you'd probably have a big dump in your pants too. You'd have a big dump in your pants. They were throwing different looks, different schemes, a ton of bodies at him. Normally, they love to play man. They zoned the hell out of him. They changed up. They pressured him. They confused him. Goff paid the price. But again, last night was not just about Belichick, the scheme master, either. It was about Belichick, the talent evaluator. Belichick, the trade wizard. Sure, Hightower, who had two sacks last night, was a first-round pick. But do you remember how he got Kyle Van Noy? Van Noy looked like a first-round pick. He got Kyle Van Noy from the Lions for a sixth-round pick. Hey, sorry, check that. Actually, he got Van Noy from the Lions for a sixth-round pick, and Detroit tossed in a seventh-round pick. So they could not get rid of that guy fast enough. They were throwing in an extra point just to get the Pats, or pick to get the Pats to take him. And now he's got a second Super Bowl ring since joining New England, and for chunks of the game, it seemed like there were two Van Noys on the field. For chunks of the game, it looked like the Patriots were playing 13 on 11. This guy was in Goff's face nearly every single time he dropped back, and he decked him with that monster 14-yard sack in the second quarter. Here's third and two, and they move the chains all kinds of time for Goff. He's now flushed out, and he is walked to his knees by Van Noy. This is a Bill Belichick special. Third and two. He plays two high safeties. They're not fooled by this play action. I mean, seriously, like, where the hell did that guy come from? I mean, that was the epitome of that Belichick defense. Like, where did he come from? Guy was shot out of a cannon. And Goff had no idea what to do or what was happening or where he came from. That was one of those plays that that unnamed Pats player was talking about. The kind of play where they throw you a different look, mess with your head, and then hope you mess your pants. You have a big dump in your They pants. sacked Goff four times. They knocked him down 12 times. And don't get it twisted. Like, he didn't have a good game at all, but he's tough as hell. He was hanging in there. He was taking hits. He was trying to make plays, looking to make a play. He kept getting back up. He kept looking to make a play until, unfortunately, this happened. Blitz to the end zone, and it's intercepted at the three-yard line. Gilmore jumps up and grabs it. Goff had to unload it. They were blitzing him. They went all-out pressure. Belichick waited the whole game to set it, and Gilmore wasn't going to get beat deep. Waiting. Right. Ball game. Belichick picked the right time to send all-out pressure, and Goff picked the worst time to make his worst throw and his worst decision. The worst possible time, off his back foot, just heaving it up there in a spot where the Patriots knew he frequently threw it when he was under pressure, and Stephon Gilmore could not have had an easier time picking that off. Game, set, match. Thanks for coming. The hood man is the greatest. And if you absolutely insist on saying who is more responsible for this run, if you have to know, now you know. Belichick or Brady, you got your answer last night. 
Neither one of these guys would have the rings or even the lives they have right now without without the other. But make no mistake, it starts with the hood. Not the goat. It starts with the hood. Monday's Daily Jungle is repped by Select Quote. If you're like me, you have a mortgage and a family who depends on your income. Then you need to protect the ones that you love with life insurance. Life insurance can pay off a mortgage or help send the kids to college. It's peace of mind. You think you can't afford it? Chances are Select Quote can help you get it for less than a dollar a day. Here's an example. Select Quote could find a 35-year-old man a $500,000 policy for under $19 a month. Or a 37-year-old female, a $750,000 policy for under $22 a month. A cup of coffee costs more than that. It's going to save you money. It's going to save you time. And yes, you want life insurance. It's important. If you pass, life insurance is your income replacement. It can help your spouse or partner pay off the mortgage or pay for college. Let Select Quote save you time and money. Get your free quote at selectquote.com slash Rome right now. That's selectquote.com slash Rome. Get a free quote. Do not put off protecting your family even one more day. Selectquote.com slash Rome. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your premium could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. Ben Vaughn is my guest. Ben, nice to have you back. How are you? Romy, man, it's unbelievable. Four out of five years I make it to the Super Bowl. Three Super Bowl uh, championships. Tom Brady keeping it going at 41 years old. It's, it's pretty unbelievable, man. We'll never see anything like this again. Yeah, Ben, you're right. That's crazy. I'm going to ask you about that in one minute. The fact that you joined the Globe in 2013 and you've seen that and you've covered that really is amazing. But if I told you, Ben, before that game that the score would be 3 nothing at halftime and the final score would be 13-3, to what would you have said? Uh, I would have slapped you upside the head, Rome, because uh, I don't think anyone had us uh, uh, predicted a, a defensive battle last night. Uh, my score prediction was 40-37, to so I was a little bit off on that front. But, you know, I, I think some of it was bad execution by the offense, but I think you just got to give the defenses a lot of credit. Uh, Aaron Donald and Indomitian Sue were firing off the football all night, did a, a tremendous job against a very good Patriots offensive line, and, and the Patriots just dialed up a masterful defensive performance maybe one of the best all-time uh, in the Super Bowl when you consider how great the Rams' offense was and the era of, of offense that we're in right now in the NFL. Uh, what Brian Flores and that defense did, dialing up all those blitzes, all those different unique coverages, showing Rams new looks. Jared Goff was admitting they had us completely guessing to start the game. They couldn't figure out what the Patriots were throwing at them. So, uh, obviously, I think everyone wanted to see more points, but that was just great defensive football. And you got to give uh, both sides, but especially the Patriots, all the credit. Ben Volan joining us. He joined the Boston Globe back in 2013. Now, Ben, given last year's loss, both in terms of the pain of losing and the way the defense played last year, then all that talk about the relationship between Belichick and Brady afterwards, where do you think this win ranks among the most satisfying Super Bowl wins for Belichick and Brady both? Uh, I would say definitely high up there. Uh, You know, the first one was probably the best, and winning that one against the Seahawks 10 years later really validated a lot of what the Patriots have done over the last two decades. But this this is a, either a close second or, or number three right up there uh, just because this, this was a season that a lot of people, I don't know about counted them out, but no one, very few people thought that this looked like a Super Bowl team, especially when they're going on the road and losing you know, in Miami and having disastrous plays and losing on national TV to Pittsburgh and Jacksonville and Detroit. Uh, that did not look like a Super Bowl team. But they, they figured it out in, in that bye week in between uh, the regular season and the playoffs. They found their magic, and they had quite an impressive uh, playoff run. It's all earned. They they beat the top offenses. They went on the road and won in Kansas City, and they figured it out. And, yeah, with all the stuff that was going on in the offseason between Brady and Belichick, that was all real. And they were able to to get through it and come to a good understanding, and, and the relationship with the Patriots seems to be in a great place right now. And here they are once again holding up the Lombardi Trophy. In fact, Ben, that was my next question to you. I mean, all in all, how much tension was there between Belichick and Brady, was it what everybody made it out to be, and or was it maybe not that big of a deal? How bad was it? No, it was real, Jim. Uh, you know, the presence of Jimmy Garoppolo was really upsetting to Tom Brady. Tom Brady really does want to play until he's 45, and I do think Belichick was ready to move on to, to Garoppolo, and, and I do think there's a part of Bill that wants to see if he can win with another quarterback, but Tom Brady obviously outlived out the plan, and 
you know, kind of forced uh, Belichick's hand to, to trade Jimmy Garoppolo away. So there was, there was definitely tension. Tom Brady was the only quarterback in the entire league to skip OTAs this, this past offseason. Not a big deal in the grand scheme, but it shows you how you know kind of upset he was with the, the way things were going with Belichick. But they came to an understanding about Brady doing his own thing and also with his trainer. That was uh, you know a big source of consternation as well. They came to a good understanding. They're in a good place. And they really just did a good job of minimizing the drama this year and, and a lot of the outside noise. And uh, here they are winning again, and, and they're in a pretty good place right now. Ben Poland joining us. He's an NFL and Patriots beat writer for the Boston Globe. Hey, Ben, what do you make of the fact that the Patriots flipped from playing zone to man last night and then how their front was able to get so much pressure on Jared Goff the entire night through stunts and twists? Yeah, it's funny. Talking to Andrew Whitworth uh, after the game, the Rams left tackle, he said, the Patriots, for most of the season, were a man defense, and that's what they showed. Uh, and then they, they threw a lot more zone at the Rams on Sunday night. And he said basically the percentages were flipped. If it was 70-30 in the regular season, it was 30-70 last night. And they just kept Jared Goff off balance. And, and, you know, looking back at all the different analysis we had last week, it really should have come down to Bill Belichick uh, and Brian Flores against a 24-year-old quarterback. And I think that's what you saw uh, last night. They went after him. They blitzed him. On exactly half of his throws, 50%, they sent a ton of pressure on that big interception. That was a double safety blitz. They sent both their safeties at the quarterback, didn't have anyone back deep. Jared Goff throws up a duck, and, and Stephon Gilmore comes down with the interception. So they just they kept Goff and, and the Rams' offensive line off balance all night. They couldn't read what the Patriots were giving them. And there was almost three points in one of the greatest defensive performances in Super Bowl history. The thing is, Ben, despite that fact, and you're right about all that, but despite that fact, the Rams had their shots. They had their chances. What do you make of that play that Jason McCourty made flying back to break up that pass to Brandon Cooks in the end zone? Unbelievable. And uh, Belichick said there were actually two defensive breakdowns on that play. So uh, that's that's one the Patriots are not going to be too happy with in their film study. But uh, that's the play of the game right there. Jason McCourty, if he doesn't break up that pass, uh, Cooks is camped under it basically for a fair catch, and that's an easy touchdown for them. And you're right, it, it's a completely different ball game. Uh, it really was pretty close until the Patriots could finally steal it at the end. But uh, Jason McCourty, a guy who wasn't sure he was going to make the team, he thought he was on the outs at training camp, and then he plays just six snaps in week one, and everyone's wondering if this guy's got a place on the team. He played every single snap in the Super Bowl, made the play of the game there in the fourth quarter. Uh, and, it was, and it happened to be against Brandon Cooks, a guy the Patriots know pretty well, too. So that had to be satisfying for the yeah. Patriots. And then, well. Ben, watching that game last night, it felt like there were two Kyle Van Noys. I mean, this guy was everywhere. He had another huge game. I thought he made a really interesting statement after the game when he said, quote, like I've been saying all week, we don't got stars. We got elite football players, end quote. What's that say about this team? What do you make of that statement? That's the perfect statement because the Patriots defense, they have a lot of good players. Devin McCourty, Trey Flowers, Kyle Van Noy, Dante Hightower, they're all good players. And, and I, don't, I don't mean to shortchange Stephon Gilmore, who was a first-team All-Pro this year. He's, he's their star. But the Patriots really uh, you know, represent and exemplify the 11 men doing their job, all the stuff that Bill Belichick has been preaching over the years. That's the Patriots defense in a nutshell. And they were the story of the game last night, but there wasn't – they didn't get the, the – the game MVP, that was Julian Edelman, and that, that's kind of fitting for the defense where it really was all 11 guys. It wasn't any true one standout. But Kyle Van Noy played like his hair was on fire last night, and he made him and Hightower had three sacks, and those are huge plays for the defense. Ben Volan joining us for a couple of more moments. And Ben, after the game, Rob Gronkowski said, quote, I'll tell you this, it was the most satisfying year I've ever been a part of, how we came together, the obstacles we had to overcome, the grind from the beginning of training camp to now, it's just surreal. We went through life this year, end quote. What do you make of the comment, and do you think we've seen the last of Gronk? That one really stood out to me because, you know, we all talk about Brady not being happy. Gronk wasn't happy either. He also held out from OTAs. Um, squabbled with the team about his contract for several years, talked about how his body's not feeling well, and uh, had arguments about the training staff. So Gronk, you know, he really bought in as well, too. And to hear him say this is one of the most enjoyable years for him, especially when he's overcoming back injuries that, that slowed him down this year. He did not look like the same player for most of the year. Uh, that was quite notable to me uh, that, that Gronk felt that way about this season. And uh, that's definitely what happens when you win. If, if you come off the field as a loser last night, maybe he's feeling differently. But I, I, I got to think that right now, Bronk is thinking about retirement. That the, the way he was uh, handling it, you know, he says, I'll, I'll make a decision in a week or two, which to me kind of thinks that he just didn't want to be a story last night, didn't want to overshadow the team's win. But 
That guy's put himself through a ton over nine NFL seasons, so many injuries and surgeries and just beating his body up. I don't think anyone would blame Gronk if he rode off into the sunset right now. Now, Ben, off the top, I agree with you, by the way. Off the top, you mentioned Brian Flores. Belichick getting a lot of credit right now for the game plan, understandably so. But if you're the Miami Dolphins, how are you feeling about the hiring of Brian Flores right now? Yeah, yeah, you're feeling pretty good about that one right now, Jim Rome. Uh, uh, Brian Flores deserves a lot of the credit for last night. This is a guy in his first year as a defensive play caller. He's been with the Patriots forever as a a scout and a linebacker coach, and he's been stuck behind Matt Patricia. He finally gets his chance this year. It's mostly the same players that got torched in the Super Bowl against the Eagles. It's not like they added uh, too many big-name free agents. And they were phenomenal this year. Over the second half of the season, they were number three in the NFL in scoring. Um, they did great in the, in the playoffs against the Chargers and then the Chiefs. And then holding the ramps to three points is an incredible achievement. Uh, so Brian Flores dialing up the blitzes, all the different coverage schemes, keeping the other quarterbacks on their toes. Uh, this is a guy who just generated a lot of buzz for himself, and the Dolphins are definitely feeling good about their new head coach this morning. No, Ben, you tweeted this morning, but it bears repeating. Quote, when I joined the Globe in 2013, sufficient it is to say I did not expect to cover four Super Bowl trips and three championships in six years. I got to ask, what has it been like covering this team over the last six seasons? Yeah, it's wild. It's like they're the, the only thing in sports right now. Uh, Four Super Bowl trips in five years. They've been to the AFC Championship game in all six years I've been there. They're just the most dominant force in sports right now. And it's in a league that's designed to bring every team back to 500 and parity. And they're always drafting 32nd every year. And for them to have two separate runs now, two different dynasties, I thought Tony Romo said it best. He told me that you know Brady's literally had two separate Hall of Fame careers. Mm. And it's just phenomenal to, to get a front row seat to, to watch and chronicle all this stuff. And, you know, I don't think it matters the sport. We're never going to see a dynasty like this again. So uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, they're both coming back next year. They're going to keep this thing going. They're not done yet. But when it's over, we're never going to see anything like this again. Hey, Ben, I don't know when it's over, but how does this thing end? I mean, is Brady going to retire first, or does Belichick retire first, or do they try to go out on top together? Does somebody knock them off and take over? If you had to guess, how would this thing end? If I had to guess, I think Belichick stays on for at least a couple of years after Brady, whenever Brady finally hangs him up. And he might play till he's 50, the way he's going. But, uh, you know, Bill doesn't have the physical limitations that Brady might have one day. And Bill's making so much money and winning all these championships. Why would you walk away? It's, you know, he's 66 years old. But I just don't see him, you know, wanting to, to retire and play golf and go fishing all day. And I think he's got several more years left. And, you know, we'll see with Brady. Eventually the family stuff and, and – and his off-field business, eventually that will tug at him and he won't want to do the training anymore. But he's definitely all in and committed to it right now. So uh, he's definitely, you know, he's got a few more years left and, and I think Belichick's got several more as well. Hey, Ben, last thing. I was walking around yesterday around the stadium before the game. In fact, I was there all week long. I was blown away by the Patriot fans. I mean, I understand that the Patriot Nation is strong, it's faithful, they travel well. I get all that. Was there any sense that, and because I couldn't find a Ram fan, it seemed like they outnumbered the Ram fans like 500 to 1. Was there any sense that the Patriot fans might have felt like the run might be closer to the end than the beginning and they want to savor it? Or do you think this is just basically what they do and how much they love that team? Yeah, my, uh, my favorite joke uh, of yesterday, Jim, was that the Patriots fans uh, outnumber the Rams fans 28 to 3. Uh, so I thought that was pretty funny. But, right. Um, you know, this is just, uh, you know, I think it, it, this run kind of caught a lot of fans by surprise. There was more excitement for it this year because the Patriots weren't a dominant team. And you saw it last Sunday where they had 35,000 fans show up to Gillette Stadium to see the, the team off in a pep rally. And they've never had that kind of crowd before. And I think it's just, you know, there was a lot of doubt, a lot of chatter in the last year plus about how this thing is starting to crumble and uh, Brady and Belichick and everyone's hating each other. And then here they are again on the biggest stage and, and – playing for and winning another championship. So I just think there was so much more buzz about this team this year because it really was an unexpected run. The thing that's going to eat the Rams for a long time is that that game was there for them. It was right there for the taking. And if one or two things go differently on offense, we're not talking about a Bill Belichick masterpiece. We're talking about a Wade Phillips masterpiece because son of bum was working one. And the Rams knew he would. That's why they went with the ultimate brass move of winning the coin flip and deciding to defer. I mean, you crazy, right? There was something we'd been talking about all week long off the air with some of my CBS colleagues. No way you win that flip and defer, right? 
You have to take the ball if you win the flip. You got to get your offense out on the field first. I mean, I know everybody likes the idea of having the ball to start the second half. But what's the point of starting the second half with the ball if you're down 21-3? to I mean, did you see the Patriots and what they did to the Chargers and the Chiefs with those time-draining, soul-sucking opening drives? There's no way you allow them to do that again, right? Well, the Rams did. And then on the very first drive, the Rams did this. Shotgun snap sets and throws a line drive to the near sideline. It's bobbled up. And on the ricochet, it's intercepted. It's picked off by Littleton. The linebacker gets it on the ricochet on the near sideline on a pass intended for a Patriot ride receiver. It's returned to about the 27-yard line of the Rams. Tom Brady has just thrown an interception on a pass intended for Hogan, broken up on the play by Nikhil Roby Coleman. That's Westwood 1. So son of bum was throwing some pretty different looks at Brady. In fact, seriously different looks at Brady. Was it man? Was it zone? Was it man that looked like zone? Zone that looked like man? How many times have you ever seen Tom Brady that confused? How many times have you seen him burning timeouts like that? And then it all changed. A two-drive sequence that pretty much decided the game. Cleveland's got the drive and the fumble, and now L.A. has the so-called sequence. Early in the fourth quarter, L.A. starts to drive on their own seven. They move the ball a little. Then they pick up a first down on a 16-yard pass to Brandon Cooks. That takes them to their own 43. Todd Gurley chases that with a 13-yard run. Now the offense has momentum. Even Gurley is starting to look like Gurley. Except it's not. Because it's called back for a hold on the center, John Sullivan. Now, I know it's fashionable to bash the officials. And I'm not going to do that right here. But again, that's a classic case of you could call holding on every single play. And on that play, they did. It erased a 13-yard run on first down, ripped all their momentum. And then on first and 20, Goff scrambles to his right. He's drilled by Jonathan Jones as he's going out of bounds. Again, no flag on that play. I mean, that wasn't Nikel Roby Coleman on the scale of obvious calls. But I've definitely seen that flagged. He definitely was out of bounds when he got hit. I've seen that flagged plenty of times, especially in the age of protecting unprotected players and especially in the age of protecting unprotected quarterbacks. But they don't get that flag. So if you're a Rams fan and you're pissed that your guys got called for holding and then didn't get the flag on the next play, I hear you. But it's about to get worse. Because on the play after that, when Goff went deep to Cooks for an incompletion, Josh Reynolds was wide open over the middle for a first down and maybe a lot more. Maybe a TD. Wound meets salt. Salt, wound. Because the moment the Rams punted that ball away, you knew what was going to happen. You had to know what was going to happen. You knew the Patriots were going to take advantage. You knew they'd score. You knew they were about to pretty much put that game away. In other words, you knew the Patriots were going to Patriot, and they did, because that's what they do all the time. You give them a chance, they take it. They'll cash it in, and there's nothing more Patriot than that three-play sequence where they ran the same play three straight times to three different guys, Brady to Edelman for 13 yards, Brady to Burkhead for seven yards, Brady to Gronk for 29 yards, and then all of a sudden, they're at the two-yard line. Three plays, 49 yards, three plays, three different guys, the same result. One play later, this. Brady under center spins, hands off Michelle, the block by Devlin, the run over the left guard, touchdown New England. The game's first touchdown with seven to play in the fourth, and the Patriots have gone on top, 9-3 over the Rams. It's like the fat lady wasn't singing at that point, but she was warming up. She was doing her vocal exercises. Because that was pretty much ball game there. I mean, there was still time left. But it sure felt like L.A.'s hope left the building on that drive. That was a soul crusher. They battled for three-plus quarters. They kept the Patriots out of the end zone. Then gave up three straight receptions. And just eating up yards like that. And the other thing was, because they started the game by going punt, 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 punt. That defense was on the field a hell of a long time. 
And the defense started to gas. And at the end of the game, obviously, they finally ran out. I'm not saying the Patriots won the game because of those calls on LA's drive. Definitely not. They won because of what they did on their drive. And they won because they responded to the situation better than the Rams did. A borderline call that was made, and then a borderline call that was not made. Both went the Patriots' way, and then the Rams chased that with missing a guy who was wide-ass open. Brutal sequence for the Rams. Perfect sequence for the Patriots. They get an opening. They get a break. They cash it in. And for all of you who say that the Patriots never get any breaks, that's obviously a ridiculous take. For all of you who say that the Patriots are the only ones who get breaks, that's also a ridiculous take. To paraphrase Pat Ewing, the reason why it feels like the Patriots get so many breaks is because they take advantage of so many breaks. Nobody does that better than the Pats. If you're in the process of choking them out, you better finish them. And that's in the course of a play, a drive, a game, a season. If you have them down, finish them. Don't miss that chance because they'll come back and they'll kill you, which is exactly what they did to the Rams. And that's exactly why they've got six rings. And that's exactly why you're going to hear Pats fans talking about those six rings from now until eternity. If you thought they were insufferable before, they're about to find a whole new level right now. If you thought Pats fans were arrogant and annoying when they had five, do you really think they're going to dial that back now that they've got six? Hell no. I don't know if you're on Twitter, but I can see it. You're not privy to my emails. Trust me, they're not scaling back. They're not dialing anything back. If you thought they were bad at five, you're going to hate them at six. Sick and tired of headphones falling out of your ears during a workout? Check out my guys at Aftershocks. They are the best sounding, most innovative headphones that I've ever owned. Here's what's different about Aftershocks. They feature a patented bone conduction technology. The headphones do not go inside your ear like earbuds, which hurt, that are constantly falling out. Aftershocks rest gently just outside. That's right, outside your ear, and they produce sound by sending mini vibrations through your cheekbone to your inner ear by bypassing your eardrum. It sounds crazy. It works beautifully. Aftershocks features unbelievable comfort, music like you have never heard before, and crystal clear phone calls. And they're safer for driving in any outdoor activity because you have to hear what's going on around you, like the traffic and emergency vehicles. Aftershocks are perfect if you're outside running or biking since you need to hear. It's a huge safety factor. And they're super comfortable, they're flexible, they're awesome sounding, and they're lightweight. I work out with mine every single day. I am never going back to regular headphones again. Aftershocks wireless open ear headphones are one of the coolest things I have ever seen. Order an Aftershocks tech bundle right now and get 50 bucks off. Simply hit roam.aftershocks.com and use Roam at checkout. That's the word after and then S-H-O-K-Z.com. Roam.aftershocks.com. Robert Klemko is my guest. Robert, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? How you holding up, man? Yeah, I'm a little tired. <laughs> but, so, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to get this week over with and, and, and head home and get back to a, a, you know, a regular schedule. I see you working. All right, let me ask you about last night. You, because right now you've got a great piece up about how the play that's probably going to haunt the Rams for a very long time played out. And it's not that Gilmore interception. It's the Jason McCourty breakup in the end zone on that throw to Brandon Cooks. Let's start right there. What did you think as you watched that play play out in real time? Yeah, you know, they, they've got a chance to go up with a touchdown, right? And they're down 3 nothing, and it's towards the end of the third quarter. And, and you just imagine that – uh, a touchdown there is going to really change the complexion of the game because they've had no success on offense. So they run, they run a play that's kind of their bread and butter over the course of the season. There's only two wide receivers going out on routes. You've got a shallow crosser in Robert Woods, and Brandon Cooks runs the post. Watched on television, they showed a zoomed-in replay, and it, it, it didn't really capture how effective the play design was. Brandon Cooks didn't have anybody around him once he got into the end zone for about 15 yards. And he just stood there and all to come, and Goff didn't see it. And it's one of those kind of examples of experience trumping 
you know, these new wave offenses and these, these coaches who are offensive gurus, it, you have to have a quarterback that's willing to pull the trigger and, and can trust his own eyes. And Goff didn't do that. He was late on a lot of passes all, all day, all night. Um, and this was one that really hurt. Robert Klemko joining us. So, Robert, when you showed that play to Rams receiver, Robert Woods after the game, what was his reaction? He was upset, you know. <laughs> he just shook his head. And, and I didn't have, you know, we don't have the all-22 tape where you can see the whole field. But thanks to these GPS trackers and their uniforms, you have these uh, gifts of, you know, the, the, how the play went down and where everybody was positioned on the field. And they had perfectly schemed up and beaten the Patriots cover four, which the Patriots had unexpectedly trotted out instead of their cover one man defense. Um, and this was a rare mental lapse. This is after Patrick Chung leaves the game. So you've got Jonathan Jones uh, in there playing safety, uh, a guy who's played cornerback all year. And this, this was the play. This was what they needed to score. And the throw is a second too late. And uh, Jason McCourty makes an incredible play, sprints across the field and, and hits uh, Brandon Cooks right as the ball arrives. He drops it, and they end up settling for the field goal. All right, so you touched on this briefly, but do you think, like, when you say it's a second too late, why do you think he lingered? I mean, is that just a matter of a quarterback who had been seeing a lot of different looks over the course of the game and wanted to make sure that what he was seeing was actually what he was seeing? Yeah, you know, I think the Patriots did a lot of things that overwhelmed and um, kind of confused this, this Rams offense. I mean, Brian Flores, if you're a Miami Dolphins fan right now, you have to be ecstatic that you're about to get this guy as a head coach. Because all, all playoffs, really all year, they've relied on cover one man. It's been their bread and butter. Um, the safety over the top uh, in, in McCourty, at Patrick Chung in the box, and everybody else playing man. Uh, and then they come out in this cover four, zone heavy, blitz heavy. They blitz 50% of the time last night. They're running stunts on the defensive line so that they're trying to get knock Jared Goff off his spot, something that they haven't done with, with frequency all year. And I think it was rattling to a lot of these Rams offensive players to see this team do so many things that they hadn't done before. We're talking to Robert Klemko. He writes for Sports Illustrated. You know, there was also that sequence in the fourth quarter that started with Todd Gurley having that 13-yard run being called back because of a hold. And then two plays later, Goff not seeing Josh Reynolds open over the middle and instead going deep to Cooks. The Patriots get the ball back. They immediately go to work on their own touchdown drive. When you're playing the Pats, how essential is it to capitalize on the breaks you get? Because you know they're going to capitalize on theirs. You absolutely have to. And, and I think... It's a miracle that they were in the game as long, for as long as they were. I think a lot of credit has to go to Wade Phillips. And the Rams defensive coordinator has, has been on the, on the losing end of a few of these high-profile games where his offense on the other side just doesn't, doesn't deliver. But to hold the Patriots to 13 points in a Super Bowl, to limit Tom Brady the way that they did, I mean, if, if Jared Goff just had an average performance, you know, if he was middle-of-the-road, 80-passer rating, um, Nick Foles type performance, then they win the game. But it, 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 the moment was a little bit too big for some of the younger players on that offense. Yeah, I was about to say, there's always that debate about how much previous big game experience means in big games. Did it feel like it did matter last night, especially as it related to golf? I think it has to matter. Anytime a player is going into his fourth postseason game and you're looking across the other sideline at Tom Brady, I think that's got to be daunting. And I don't think it's, it, it's fair to write off Goff and say that he'll never be ready for this sort of stage. But it was, it was a big task to, uh, to step into this limelight. Um, and, it, and he just wasn't up for it. I mean, you go back and look at that film. There's five or six plays that are big chunk plays, 30, 40-yard plays, where he just either misses the throw or doesn't see the wide receiver completely. Mm. Robert Klemko joining us. Robert, what's your sense as to what happened to Todd Gurley last night? You know, I, I know that he said he was healthy um, after the game, and, and he didn't offer a lot of explanation. Really, nobody did on the Rams side of things. Um, it was reminiscent of Malcolm Butler being benched uh, by, you know, by the Patriots uh, in the loss to the Eagles. I think it was bizarre to a lot of us watching the game. Um, I thought C.J. Anderson was effective, but in spurts, Todd Gurley looked excellent. Now, Stacey Wolfson did say during the broadcast that she saw Gurley limping a little bit and riding the bicycle on the sideline. So I have to believe that there's some injury, some malady there. 
that they've been hiding all month and that they haven't shared. Seems to me, right? I think they've got to be protecting this guy. Why would you not use your best offensive player? Why would you – what, he suddenly doesn't fit the scheme? The guy was unstoppable in 2017. There's got to be something wrong with him physically, right? Yeah, I mean, C.J. Anderson is a fine player. You know, right. if you need to slam the ball in short yard situations, they're, they're, you could do a lot worse. But Todd Gurley is a complete running back, and he also adds that element of pass catching out of the backfield. You know, one thing the Patriots do so well is utilize their running backs in all phases of the game, whether they're blocking on third down, going out for passes, running between the tackles, running stretch, running zone. They're versatile. And Todd Gurley is that kind of player. I mean, he's the best running back on the field when he's healthy. And if you can have him out there as a receiving option instead of C.J. Anderson and he's fully healthy, I would think that a coach like Sean McVay would see the value in that. So I, there's got to be more to it. Robert Klemko joining me for a few more moments. Sean McVay, Robert, admitted afterwards, look, I got outcoached. That's on me. I got outcoached. As McVay looks back on that game, what do you think is going to bother him the most? I think that he, probably that he didn't see so much of what the Patriots were going to do coming. Um, and I think if you look back at previous Super Bowls that the Patriots have competed in, there's always – some drastic change, particularly on defense, where um, you know players are playing out of position and have success, um, and or or Belichick will you know back off on the blitz, whereas he's blitzed all playoffs, or, or you know they'll go to a different coverage scheme. And I think that Sean McVay will probably look back on it and say it would make sense that they would play us this way. And the problem is, if you're a coach going up against Belichick in the Super Bowl, that you can get into your own head too much. And I think a lot of these uh, coaches that have younger players on both sides of the ball don't want to throw too many things at their guys in the two weeks before Super Bowl week. They want to keep it um, routine and, and, and keep the same kind of routine that they've gone, that they've gone with in game planning over the course of the entire season so as not to overwhelm them. So you have to strike a very difficult balance there as a coach. Now, you're in the locker room, the Patriots locker room for some of the champagne spray. Tyler Dunn, <laughs> a Bleach Report, said, quote, hands down, the number one scene from the Patriots locker room was a scowling Bill Belichick walking through <laughs> as Robert Klemko says, coach, call her. Belichick continued on three and a half strides before then fixing his collar without breaking stride and without acknowledging Robert whatsoever, end quote. So is that how it played out? Did he not give you any love for the assist and the heads up on the collar fix? Nothing. You know, <laughs> Belichick is, is honestly as advertised. <laughs> That's great. Um, I, he's probably walking out thinking about how much he's going to have to pay some guy to, to repaint his boat from the name seven rings to eight rings, right? Right. He, he, he looked angry. And, uh, you know, he's walking out, and I tried to give him a little heads up. And, of course, he doesn't look back at me. But, you know, that's to be expected. That's my Belichick story now. I like it. Listen, in the days before the game, I thought you had a really interesting piece on the relationship between the current Patriot players and Josh Gordon. How would you describe that relationship? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of these Patriots players that have been here for a number of years and, and at this point have been to three straight Super Bowls um, understand that this week – and the playoffs in general are not about looking back. And they'll humor media members and, and talk about how they got there and that got them there. But if you're not in that building, you're not a focus. You're not a priority. Um, and so Josh Gordon hasn't been in the building for a long time. And although he was a big part of that roster, although he made some friends there, it's not as though Patriots players are reaching out to him when they hear that he's continuing rehab um, and, and doing better. These guys are hyper-focused on Super Bowl week. And I think a lot of teams talk about being that way, but the Patriots are actually that way. It is the Patriot way. All right, so finally, is there any reason to think that they don't have a great chance to be right back in the Super Bowl at this time next year? There's no reason to think that. I mean, you look at, I think the most important statistic or number or whatever you want to call it when it comes to the Patriots is how much Brady gets paid. And he's, he's at about 16... 17 uh, in terms of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. And you could argue that he's worth more than any of them. And as long as they have that kind of flexibility with his contract and the money to spend uh, and extend big, you know, big time players like the McCordys or sign a Stefan Gilmore in free agency, as long as they have that extra 10 million to play with, they're going to have a distinct advantage over every other NFL team. Yes. I saw the Sarah Jessica Parker, Stella Artois commercial. Yes, I will talk about it. Yes, 
I even actually want to talk about it. I'm not talking about it because you want me to talk about it. I actually want to talk about it to illustrate my point. I will take a topic that you want me to talk about, but I will talk about it responsibly. And I will give you the right take, the right angle, not what you want. I'm not going to talk about this because of her. So go ahead and save all those oh-so-hilarious emails about how Stella ripped off Budweiser by using a Clydesdale in their beer commercial. It's sophomoric. It's not at all amusing. Very successful actress. And interesting the way they juxtaposed that spot and what they did with her. Oh, also, also. You can say that nonsense about how my dream of having a cold one with shared belief was brought to life and realized on the screen last night. I've seen that too. I've seen all your jokes. And dumb. Dumb. Not clever, not smart, not funny. I've seen the jokes and the mentions a million times. You're not clever. You're sure as hell not original. And they're not going to see the light of day on this program. See, because the commercial to me was not about her. The commercial was not about her. You're missing the angle. You're missing the take. The commercial was about him. Him being Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges being the dude. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me. All right, so really quickly, if you've not seen the spot, let me lay it out quickly for you and tell you why it's not about her, it's about him. Sarah Jessica Parker walks into a restaurant reprising her role as Carrie Bradshaw from Sex and the City. She sits down at a table. A waiter assumes her normal drink order, which I'm told is a Cosmo. Because how the hell would I know? She then shocks the entire joint by changing up and ordering a Stella. Hello. Good to see you again. Likewise. Please, Cosmopolitan. Nope. Tonight, I'll have a Stella Artois. So the commercial could have ended right there, and I thought it probably would, and that would have been that, and I would have never thought about it. I probably would have got a few mentions, a few emails, and would have ignored them, except that did not end right there. They had made their point, but what they then did was they doubled down. They doubled down on that bit, and it was one thing to take her and change up her drink, but they resurrected the most iconic cult movie character of all time. And literally torched his 20-year bulletproof cred in about 20 seconds. I mean, listen as the dude from The Big Lebowski saunters from the door to the bar in his trademark cardigan, pajama pants, sandals, and shades, only to wreck his legacy for a paycheck. Wild night, huh? Why, Russian? No, Gary, give me a Stella Art Toast. <laughs> Excuse me. Good choice. Well, changing can do a little good. <laughs> do the bites. <laughs> the freaking dude. The freaking dude just turned down his staple white Russian for a Stella Artus. For a Stella of all beers. And his choice was then validated by Kerry Bradshaw of all people. Hey, look, I get it. Everybody's got their price. But damn, man, no price seems high enough for that. We're talking about the dude. I understand how easy that money was. I understood it probably was 20 seconds of work for that guy. But we're talking about the dude, a man so lazy, he writes 67-cent checks for his cocktail creamer. A man who never got out of his bathtub when his private residence was being robbed. Hey, hey, this is a private residence, man. You think that man has it in him to ever change up his beverage? The dude doesn't change. The dude abides. His character is so fundamentally important in the canon of film because of his unrelenting ways. That's the whole point. He drinks, he smokes, he bowls. That's it. The movie starts with him buying ingredients for his white Russian, and the movie ends with him ordering one from the bowling alley bar. We all know this. 
There's never been a sequel because the Coen brothers know better than to try and replicate perfection. But somebody said yes to this horrible commercial and completely wrecked this dude and his legacy. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. What the hell's next? Is Bond going to walk through that door and refuse a martini? Look, the martini. shaken. It's not stirred. Is Ron Burgundy going to pull up to a chair? Or pull up to a chair and turn down a scotch? Mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. Is Tony Montagna going to roll up and say no to a gigantic mountain of blow? I mean, at that rate, the Stella commercial, the rate it was going, that dude was two seconds away from popping over to the jukebox and spitting Hotel California. Man, come on. I had a rough night, and I hate the f***ing eagles, man. Another reason why that guy was great. He hated the bleeping eagles. Never man, understood that bad, man. I'll, I you know, never understood night. the eagles. I agree with him. eagles, man. I mean, what an all-time betrayal from an all-time legendary cult movie character. This aggression will not stand, man. And some things just shouldn't be for sale. I never thought that I would say this, but I'm actually disappointed in the dude. There's no coming back from that. I'm the dude. Sam Amick is my guest. Sam, it's so good to have you back. How are you? Romy, doing great. How you doing, brother? Good, good, Sam. Great to hear your voice. Listen, I mentioned the NFL obviously is dominating headlines this time of year, but it's amazing to see what's going on in the NBA. You go back over the past week, there was the announcement, Sam, that Anthony Davis is not going to re-sign with the Pelicans. The Lakers reportedly made an offer for Davis. The Knicks trade Porzingis, Kyrie Irving's comments, and more. What has the last week in the association been like for you? <laughs> I mean, it's been wild. I keep thinking about Adam Silver and his kind of grand plan that seemed so far-fetched just a couple of years ago to, to really catch up to the NFL when it comes to the NBA and the level of interest. And I don't ever remember a Super Bowl week you know, like this one when it comes to the NBA being successful and stealing you know, this much of the spotlight. And then you add on to that the fact that the, the game itself yesterday was kind of a dud. You know, I, I feel like Adam probably privately has a little grin on his face because – you know, some of the players, some of the stars, I think they get tired of the headlines and the drama and, and all this stuff that we're always talking about. But Adam's always been a businessman. He knows that this moves the needle. He knows that this drives the league. This is what you know leads to the guys getting paid, and it's, it's good for business. That's all true, isn't it? Sam Amick joining us. When he made that comment a few years back, I'm like, come on, man. You're never right. going to be anywhere near what the NFL is. But when you look at the stars involved and some of the speculation, and it is moving the needle, like Anthony Davis, for instance, that had been simmering for weeks. So what was your initial reaction when the lid came off last week with the announcement that he was not going to re-sign with New Orleans? Definitely not surprised. You know, I had done a, a column about a month ago uh, breaking down why the Pelicans were in serious danger of losing him uh, at the time, reporting that he had uh, did not care about the extra fifth year and essentially the extra $87 million that the Pelicans could offer him this summer, that that was not a factor in his mind at all when it came to the question of whether or not he wanted to stay in New Orleans. So when I reported on that story, there was a strong sense that it was like, all right, quite to the point of asking for a trade just yet, but it did feel close. You know, fast forward a couple of weeks and we saw what happened. And, and even in real time today, you know, it continues to evolve. The Lakers trying to get in there and get that job done, give LeBron kind of his co-star, other teams trying to get involved and uh, a few days left till the deadline, obviously. All right. So, Sam, what about the timing of the announcement? How much of that is about trying to get him to the Lakers and putting pressure on the Pelicans to make a move before the Celtics can get involved in the summertime? Right. Because as, as you know, you know, Boston can't do this deal right now. They can't have two guys with the the, the rookie Supermax extension, and that would be Kyrie and, and AD. So until Kyrie becomes a free agent this summer, they, they're on the sideline. And, yeah, it's it certainly, you know, the word within the league and the strong sense from everybody who knows what's going on is that this was certainly intended to give the Lakers pole position. I do think we are, you know, we're seeing now there's some other options that AD might consider. Uh, I still would be shocked if he got traded – before the deadline, I think it's going to be Lakers or, or nothing else, or just wait till the summer. Um, but, you know, a lot of moving parts here. And, and Boston's got to be sitting there, you know, just kind of, you know, have the anxiety going up by the second here because they have a great package they can offer New Orleans 
this summer, but they got to sit here and wait. Sam Amick joining us. Sam, is there any reason why Dell Demps and the Pelicans would not wait until summertime to see what Boston has to offer? I just think that I keep saying this. I think we sometimes gloss over the human component of these things. You know, it's it's not a static environment. You know, if if you got AD, uh, let's say they sh- they don't trade him, then they shelve him. They decide to have him not play because he's you know a very valuable asset for them. And uh, and you go that route. Well, now your fan base just is going to tune out for the rest of the season. You know, you're not going to sell season ticket packages, and it's going to be uncomfortable. I think if you're Dell Demps, that's not you know, reason enough alone to do a deal. But if you have a package right now where you feel like you could not only put the organization in a good place, you can then get rid of kind of this, this cloud that's hanging over your head and start moving forward. I, I would want to do that if I was him. I think you're right. I think that's reasonable. Sam Amick joining us. Sam, the other factor in all this is that LeBron has got a ticking clock, right? He's not getting any younger. Right. How much does that play a role in this? I think it's big. I mean, it's so tricky as you break down the power players here, certainly Rich Paul, agent for Anthony Davis and LeBron, you know, known LeBron for a long time. But I I know for a fact takes great exception to the idea, you know, that his only purpose in life is to help LeBron in his career. He's got a bunch of clients now, a bunch of very good players, and he's become a, a forceful agent, a guy who's, you know, commanding respect all around the league, which is to say that he doesn't like the idea and the narrative that this is all about just helping LeBron. Um, but if that's going to be the ultimate destination, you got to go ahead. You know, AD needs to get there right now because we saw this year already with the groin strain, how long it took for LeBron to get back. As incredible as he is, he still is 34 years old. And, you know, they want to get to work. And not only that, unfortunately for the Lakers, their young core and some of their other pieces just, you know, they showed us over those last six weeks that they can't survive without him. And, uh, you know, they want to speed this thing up. I think – LeBron came in talking about patience, and it, it's pretty clear he's not nearly as patient now as he was six months ago. No, not at all. Sam Amick joins us. He writes for The Athletic. In terms of Lakers, there was that report over the weekend, Sam, of something went down in the Lakers locker room after the loss to Golden State. What's your sense as to exactly what happened in the locker room, and how would you describe where that team is right now? I mean, it was, it was not surprising. So I was at that game, Romy. Um, you know, Warriors-Lakers was in the locker room talking to different guys. There was no hint of it whatsoever when it comes to kind of the demeanor and the mood. And Other than maybe a longer-than-usual delay and talking to different players. And it's one of those things where then when you look at the scene in hindsight, you start realizing, like, oh, yeah, this guy was over there actually talking to a security guard after the fact about, you know, something. But now you're, you're kind of wondering what it all was. They, you have a, a roster full of prospective you know, guys who are going to be free agents this summer, guys whose names are being put on the table right now in real time in trade discussions. Basically, LeBron is the only guy in that locker room who knows what his you know, career looks like next season. And I think that creates a ton of angst. you got Luke Walton with questions about his job security hanging over his head all the time, and he's trying to push these guys to be unselfish on the basketball floor. I mean, it's about as tough a challenge as you're going to have if you're a coach, because I mean, if Luke's being honest, I guarantee you this is where his head is at. He he understands why guys would be selfish right now because they they're trying to get paid and keep their careers going, and the organization is clearly not thinking that they're part of the long-term package. So it's a little toxic in that regard. So you had basically Michael Beasley, Javale McGee pushing back on Luke and the idea that they had been selfish during the game. You know, voices raised a little bit. Nothing physical. You know, a lot of people internally saying it was not that big of a deal, but but certainly tension's kind of running high. We're talking to Sam Amick. All right, Sam, what about Porzingis? I mean, on the surface, it looks like New York just cleared the decks. They have enough space now for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to sign as free agents. But, Sam, you've watched the Knicks for a long time. It's kind of hard to say with confidence that they've got a plan and that they're going to deliver on it. Does this feel different? I mean, do you really trade a 23-year-old unicorn without being close to 100% certain that you can get both these guys? Would they really do that? I mean, that's what's made their situation, you know, maybe the most compelling of the whole league this summer because they went ahead, you know, put all their chips in. The gamble is extremely risky, and we're not going to know until July if it's going to pay off. Like right now, I understand it from the standpoint that, you know, I have a really good sense of the intel coming their way. They have a very high confidence level that they're going to get Kevin Durant. And I think once, you know, I shouldn't say, definitely not going to say once, but if they get Kevin, then I think, you know, the idea is you can get a guy like Kyrie to leave Boston. I know for a fact that Boston is certainly concerned when it comes to the Knicks. They do think that New York is 
definitely capable of convincing Kyrie to leave the Celtics situation. But I've seen this, you know, every year where there's a high profile free agent where you're hearing one thing in January and February. And then guess what? I go back to the human component. If Kevin Durant goes ahead and wins a third straight championship with the Warriors, decides that, you know, all the stuff with Draymond is in the past and he's actually feeling pretty good about things, changes his mind, then the Knicks have egg on their face because their plan didn't work. You know, you can't go out and do, you know, uh, Jimmy Butler and and Kemba Walker and call it a success. This is going to have to be for the big guys like KD and Kyrie. Sam, do you think, for instance, that Danny Ainge feels like he's going to have to get Davis in order to get Kyrie to resign? Does that factor in? Yeah, I think so. I think that's, I mean, if they got Davis, they would be, you know, sleeping nine hours a night and, and having REM sleep every every <laughs> single time. They'd be feeling really good. Uh, if they don't get Davis, they're nervous. I think they're nervous right now. They know, I mean, Kyrie, this went from a story where different reports were kind of leaking out, you know, on the edges about how maybe he's not as into re-signing as we thought. And then it was only a matter of two or three days before the man is out there in front of the whole world essentially confirming all those reports because he certainly walked back the, the the sentiment that he shared back in October when he said, I'm here to stay. So, uh, yeah, I think AD is, is a key for them to keep Kyrie. And, 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 you know, again, KD factors in too. Sam Amick covering all of this. Really quick, Sam, before you go, overall, how worried do you think teams are right now about superstar players having the hammer, having the power that they have, and their willingness to use it? I think it's an issue. I just don't know how it evolves, how it changes, how Adam Silver handles it. I heard some stuff this week that I thought was fascinating about, um, you know, the Jimmy Butler situation, the way he forced himself out in Minnesota and how behind the scenes, the league, you know, they have taken certain measures trying to at minimum, you know, get in the ears of representatives and and try to implore them to like, if you're going to go down this road and, and consistently do the power play, you know, please do it with as much decorum as possible and just trying to, you know, to kind of control what is a, a trend. I mean, we've had power plays for years and years and years, but now with the timeline being sped up, you're talking a year and a half left on a guy like Anthony's contract. Uh, it's becoming commonplace. And, and Rich Paul being at the center of it because he's AD's guy, because he's LeBron's guy, and because he's widely known to have kind of the ethos and the belief that the players deserve to pull these kinds of strings and, and they're kind of pushing. Well, finally, is it just kind of part of the natural evolution or is this a big step forward? Is it changing? I think it's changing. And part of it is, you know, is, is not real complicated. The economics are just clear as day. I mean, when you got players out here making 30, 35 million on the court, and then you got shoe contracts that maybe double that salary playing for coaches who were making three to 5 million playing for GMs, you know, who are making somewhere in that neighborhood of money. Um, the, the players aren't stupid. They know who moves the needle. They know who sells the tickets. And, they're again, they're taking advantage of that power. Hell yes, 100%. Sam Amick, an NBA writer for The Athletic. Sam, great job. Really well done. Appreciate you, and great to have you back, Sam. Thanks, Romy. Be good. Let's go to New England. Christopher in New England. It's good to have you, Christopher. How are you? Hey, Jim, how we doing, bud? Good, man. Uh, how about you? I to get back here. called last Tuesday. You took my call, told you the Pats and the over. Got one side of it. Uh, picked up a couple yards on some of the props, too. Uh, I sound a little groggy. You know, good man for doing your job, taking that flight back from ATL and getting ready to grind it out for Monday morning. That's why I watched the show. Like I told you, stand-up guy. Like what you do, and I'll always keep watching. Just not calling to gloat, you know. It's a tough loss for L.A. and La La Land. You guys will be back there. Uh, you know, McVeigh, great coach, young. Give him time, okay? A lot of questions still need to be answered on that side with Hurley in the defense and a couple of things. Without a doubt, everybody was sweating it out up here to some degree. Low scoring, what was going to happen. But as I stated before, when I called last Tuesday, and you concurred, and you do concur, he's surgical. And once again, he did what he did. It's officially a dynasty. Six of them, 51 degrees out down here in Worcester, Massachusetts. Going to break out the JAG XJA today, take the gambling winnings, head down to Lincoln, Rhode Island, to Twin River Casino to parlay it, back to work tomorrow, and gloating, gloating, gloating. Just as the great saying was said, how sweet it is, it's sweet. Going to be a hell of a parade today with 19 draft picks coming up for next year. Everybody's crazy if they don't think we can't get back here and do it again for the next couple of years. 
as long as everybody can contain and stay intact. Now, another comment, and I'll let you go after this, and I appreciate much, because i got to fire that jag up and head down to that casino. Here's the thing. When I finished last week, some kid called up from Toronto and questioned about, was I from New England? Let me tell you something. Anytime you or the staff want to come down to Worcester, Massachusetts, the fresh Maine lobsters, the fried clams, the steamed clams, and the chowder will be here waiting for you, brother. Once again, my pleasure. Great to speak with you. We'll see you soon. God bless. Love you, Jimmy. My man, Christopher in New England. Rack him. Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.